0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com.
3: No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: Can you dig it? With a Bobcat Compact Excavator, you can. Up to $6,000 in rebates on select models and 0%
0: financing for 36 months. Check us out at Bobcat of Charleston in North Charleston.
4: Happy June, Duke fans! Welcome to episode five one eight of the Duke Basketball Roundup. I'm Jason Evans here for your listening pleasure. We're going to be talking a little bit about the upcoming sophomore seasons that we expect from some of the uh, some of the Dukies on our squad for next year, who are we're hoping going to have very very good sophomore seasons. Before we get to that, we got some news, some stuff that's happened in the past couple of days regarding recruiting and regarding a beloved former Dukie. Joining me to talk about all of it is Donald Wine and Sam Klein. Sam, how are you feeling today?
3: Uh, not camping anymore, so uh, much better rested than I think the last time we spoke, and of much clearer head. So that's uh, that's great. And uh, looking forward to talking a little bit about sophomore seasons. You got me, Jason. I'll I'll tell the people uh, before we get to that topic that you got me really jazzed up to uh, to discuss this one. And uh I just want to say before we get into college basketball news or, or, or Duke news that uh guys, I think Nicole Jokic, good basketball player. I got the limb there, it's okay. Huh? Turns out. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah. My, I don't know if I could call them my Denver Nuggets. Uh former former Denver resident. Uh My Denver Nuggets just absolutely pasted the heat the other night. So man, really good.
4: Yeah. I would I would make them the favorite to uh, to hoist the trophy at the end of the season. I'm not going out on a limb there to say that. Donald. That Wine, is a hot take. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we make hot takes here. That is not a hot take. Uh,
1: Donald Wine, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I just want to shout out a few of the non-Duke basketball sports that are out there right now. Duke softball got to the Super Regionals. A very fantastic season for them. Duke men's lacrosse got to the title game. Unfortunately, they lost in the title game but had a very, very strong season. Duke baseball starts this weekend in the NCAA tournament. They've been doing well this season. Duke sevens at the, at the soccer tournament out in Raleigh. They just won. We're we're doing a bunch of stuff. The K academies this weekend. Like I love the fact that there's just so many random things going on that are Duke related or Duke ancillary uh, that we can talk about. But I also enjoy the fact that we do have some basketball news in the, you know, the first weekend of June to discuss.
4: Yeah, and actually, you know, I, I want to follow up on one thing you mentioned. Uh, the K Academy that is going on right now. It is worth noting that all four of the incoming freshmen for Duke are on campus for this. They are taking part in K Academy. Uh, you know, I don't even want to say it was a rumor, but there were some Duke fans out there in the universe who were, you know, over the course of the past few weeks, a little bit worried. Maybe when when Jeremy Roach announced he was returning to Duke, there were some people out there who were like, "Ooh, I wonder if." you know, one of the Duke guard recruits is going to be worried about playing time or something like that. I think you can now put any of those worries completely to bed because all these guys are officially on campus. They haven't enrolled in classes. Or I guess they maybe they've enrolled. They haven't started taking classes in the summer session. They'll probably start doing that in just a couple of weeks. But I, I think at this point, we know what the roster is going to be for the Duke Blue Devils next year. It is worth noting, we've talked on this podcast about Ernest Uday he he went ahead and committed to TCU. He is not going to be attending Duke. We spoke about that a little bit on the past couple of podcasts. I think we but but I, I I think we now know all the players who will be in a Duke uniform next year.
3: One observation from the images from K Academy. I initially thought when I saw the pictures the other day, that Tyrese Proctor has, had cut his hair. It looks like he's just braided it. So, I think it's just down and waiting to be returned to its uh, to its illustrious state, so um, hey, it's not, a time. time.
1: Not you, the, this is the time to, to experiment.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Everyone can do the weird Paulo Bencaro, uh Wendell Carter hair thing, um, as long as you, as long as you come back sometime.
1: But speaking also, real quick,
3: a, speaking speaking from a, a place of, uh, of of knowledge on this, as someone who has a ton of hair on top of his head.
1: Also, real quick, <laughs> again, another side note: Duke football. All the freshmen are on campus this weekend as well. They're starting to move in, so it's it's becoming that time where. You know, Jason, hopefully in a few weeks, we start to get some of these, you know, you know, super top double secret probation type of, you know, workout videos that we like to get during the summer. Oh, the other fun stuff.
3: The other fun image from K Academy that I like, there were a lot of great pictures. So if you're I, mean, I don't know why you wouldn't be following Duke men's basketball on social media at this point. But I liked the picture of Coach K sitting with Danny Ferry and Quinn Snyder, just, you know, like the execs off to the side sort of doing, doing their own thing. They can't be bothered to be like on the court anymore. You know, those are, they're, they're I'd front love to do guys. this. They're, they're not on the court guys. Just,
1: I'd love to go to Kate Academy just once. So if you are are trying to sponsor three guys who probably can't play basketball as well as they did in their, in their good days, DBR podcast at gmail.com we will we'll either, we'll do whatever you need us to do, but next year it'd be nice to, to try and do this or and even happy next year, but once I'll even train for it.
3: I would I would go just to hang. You don't have, you do not. No one wants to see me play basketball. I don't <laughs> want to see me play basketball. And frankly, like, I don't want to play basketball. Um, but if someone wants to sponsor me just to go hang and talk to people, I'm I'm game for that.
4: I, I will freely admit that as I was looking at the photo, uh, the, the big class photo, which is all the all the recruits, all the players, uh, all the former players. The Coach K, all the former, all the coaches, and then all the guys who are there at K Academy, you can tell it there's a difference. <laughs> there are a bunch of guys, bunch of guys who look like us, short, unathletic, and then there are a bunch of tall, super athletic looking guys. Uh it, yeah, there's a huge difference. By the way, the thing I noticed in the K Academy photo, the big class photo, like I said, that looked like it had a, a hundred plus people in it, was that Coach K was right there, front and center in the very middle. And standing right next to him, literally, place of honor, was friend of the podcast, Kenny Denard. The dog was was there, like literally right next to Kay. No one had a better, you know, angle in that photo than Kenny Denard. Kenny knows he plays the PR
1: game beautifully. I feel like he he's got seniority rights too. He can just be like, yeah. look, look here. <laughs> Class, you know, I was, I was, I was on a seventy eighteen move. Like, right. do that. I've
4: known this guy longer than anybody else. K Academy, I've mm-hmm. known longer than anybody else. Exactly. All
1: I right, went guys. to the
3: Final Four before many of you were born. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
4: <laughs> Even some of the guys who are attending K Academy, paying to be there, were not born when Kenny Denard went to the Final Four. All right, gentlemen, let's let's get to a little bit of news that we have that we wanted to talk about. First thing first, Wojo on the move. Actually, not really on the move. He's on the move in terms of job, but not in terms of cities. Uh, Apparently, Wojo has been living for the past couple of years in the Salt Lake City area, and he has now been hired to coach. He is the new head coach of the Salt Lake City Stars. They are the Utah Jazz's G League affiliate. Wojo has been wanting to get into the pro basketball game uh, for the past couple of years. He obviously, you know, was connected and knows Quinn Snyder very well. Quinn has been unbelievably successful in pro basketball, uh, coached coached the the Utah Jazz for several seasons, is now the coach of my Atlanta Hawks. Anyway, Wojo making his move into the pro basketball game as the uh, uh head coach of the G League affiliate of the Utah Jazz, the Salt Lake City Stars. Uh Utah's apparently very encouraged and excited about his ability to teach those guys. That is the primary job of a G League coach. More than winning, it is developing players. Donald, what's your feelings about uh Wojo getting into this spot?
1: I think it's a great move because I think a lot of people don't realize that the, the G League path is actually a pretty viable path when it comes to showcasing yourself as a coach, not just to you know the college ranks, but also to the NBA. Jason, you just mentioned Quinn Snyder. Quinn Snyder is a guy who, when he left Missouri, he ended up coaching in the G League for three seasons with the Austin Toros. Then from there... Got an NBA assistant job, moved from there, and then he became the Utah Jazz coach for for eight seasons before. Uh, like you said, now he's with the Hawks. So this is the path that he can, you know, use to kind of showcase himself as well. And also, again, show that he can work with developing young players. Because a lot of these players in the G League are guys trying to make it to the next level, trying to make it to the NBA and get that shot. So. He's a guy that you know, if he's teaching and developing these guys to get them to a point where they're ready to play for the Utah Jazz or for any other team, then he's gonna get some looks as well, uh for an NBA staff. And as as we've seen in this offseason, these NBA coaching staffs turn over quite frequently and 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 they're very volatile. So uh the the coaching the coaching carousel, uh, he can join that if he does well here. So I wish him the best of luck. This is a great move for him.
3: Two thoughts on this. One related to what Donald was talking about that it seems like a lot of NBA teams are taking more flyers in recent years on new or newer or younger head coaches. Um, we see a number of them going deep in the playoffs now guys who are like only in their 30s and 40s you, you, it turns out like you don't need George Carl and Greg Popovich and, and all these older coaches everywhere there's lots of younger coaches who are who are getting big opportunities in the NBA so to Donald's point, wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if Wojo does a great job uh in Salt Lake City that either he, you know, like I don't know if he he would ever if he would get called up specifically for Utah or if there are other jobs out there for him. So, definitely feels like there's a path. The other thing that that I was thinking about when I saw this news is that I would think that Wojo is coming into this with a pretty clear head about what the opportunity looks like. One because he was at Duke where You're obviously coaching, you know, future NBA players everywhere. Marquette, he he uh, oversaw the development of a number of guys who are now in the NBA, and I think most importantly, he has his uh, experience as an assistant with Team USA, uh, both under Coach K and later. That I think probably gave him the best exposure to what it's what it looks like working with highest level guys who are really there to like learn and develop and not just be college students because being a college coach is very different from being a professional coach in a lot of ways so hopefully that means that he's you know in here eyes wide open about about what the differences are i think for some guys who have been coaching in the college game like wojo has for the better part of 20 years you could imagine the transition actually being somewhat difficult because you don't have the same control over the program in in the nba that you do in college but no recruiting. Uh, you don't have to deal with boosters. You don't have to deal with a lot of the other nonsense. You are just there to coach basketball. And if Wojo had fun doing that with Team USA, I imagine he it will be uh, satisfied and successful as a pro coach.
1: And from a Duke perspective, in terms of the brotherhood and the guys that are currently on this roster or future rosters, having someone, we, we always talk about the guys that we know that they're in the NBA, but having someone in the G League is just as beneficial. We just talked about the fact that You know, over the course of the last couple of weeks, we've seen not just an NBA draft combine, but a G League draft combine. And so you have those guys and and him being able to tell you, hey, here's what you need to do to get to at least the G League level and also what you need to do to strive to get to that next level and how the G League can help you. This is a great way. again, another way for uh, these players to get the information that they need to make the most informed decisions.
3: Another Duke guy who is on his way to sort of NBA front office, potentially, right? I mean, being a a coach on the court is a little different than being the general manager. But we mentioned a few minutes ago about guys like Danny Ferry, uh, Quinn Snyder, Elton Brand, Trajan Langdon. Duke's had a lot of recent guys who have taken executive roles. And uh, this could Mike also Dunleavy, be a to might that. Be, Mike Dunleavy. Yeah, exactly. Might so, be added to um, that version. Yeah. The, uh, the the league continues to be littered with with Duke alumni who are in all kinds of coaching and front office roles. And this seems like a cool move for Wojo. And frankly, you know, we, we saw how it went at Marquette for him. Only okay. Um, th- this might be an indicator that, like, the interest in him getting another, you know, relatively premier college job might not have been available. We don't know that there's, I don't think there's any reporting about it, but uh, if this is a way for him to to jumpstart his, his coaching career, it seems like a cool move. And I guess he's already living, like you said, Jason in Salt Lake city. Uh, I don't know why, but uh, there we are. So, so a, a cool move for him.
4: All right, gentlemen, let's move on to the next topic we want to get to. And that is recruiting. Uh, Duke put out another offer in the class of 2024. And You know, I I mentioned at the top of this uh, at the top of this podcast that uh, Ernest Uday is not going to be coming to Duke. And as a result, it looks like Duke has turned their attention to a big man in the class of 2024. They you know, if we'd gotten Uday, I think Duke expected he would be there for multiple years and uh, and we maybe wouldn't have needed a big in the class of 2024. Well, now it turns out we we perhaps do. And Duke has made an offer to Patrick i'm gonna probably butcher his last name gongba i believe is how his last name is pronounced uh now patrick has a lot of connections a lot of connections to 2024 duke commit darren harris so patrick plays for paul the sixth one of the elite if not the best uh high school basketball programs out there in the country so does darren harris patrick also plays on team takeover in the AAU world team takeover has been the best team, the best record of any team at the AAU EYBL sessions that have been going on recently. And his teammate on that EYBL team is none other than Darren Harris. These guys clearly know each other really well. I I, I, want, I have to wonder if Darren Harris perhaps was getting in the ear of the Duke coaches and saying, Hey, you should really check out Patrick, Patrick's worth looking at. And here, let, let, let me tell you something very interesting about Patrick and Gongba. Uh, at the EYBL he was he was playing fine you know but he wasn't really lighting it up that much he wasn't having people talk about him all that much and then over this past weekend if you're wondering why Duke made an offer it may be this i'm going to tell you what patrick did in his last 3 eybl games over the weekend he had 18 uh he had 18 points and 11 rebounds and 3 blocks in the first game he had 33 points 18 rebounds in the next game again 33 points and 18 rebounds he had 5 assists in that game as well and then in the final game for Team Takeover, he had 16 points, 9 rebounds, and 3 more uh, block shots. By the way, he has been unveiling a 3-point shot lately. In each of those games, the 6'10 center, who protects the rim, went out to the perimeter and hit 3-pointers. In fact, over the weekend, he was 4 of 5 on 3-point shots at the EYBL Dude apparently can shoot from the outside. He can protect the rim. He's grabbing rebounds to the tune of 11, 18, and 9 per game. Very, very impressive stuff from Patrick Patrick Ngongba, and he has received a Duke offer. Donald, any thoughts on this potential recruit?
1: Yeah, first off, Jason, uh, I hate to say this, but you mispronounced his name after those stats that I heard. I know. I it. think it's... I think it's Patrick and Jokic. I think is what what we were talking about here um because he has a, a Nikola Jokic kind of game if he's going to be doing you know 33 18 and and shooting three-pointers So uh and additional five assists. So I I I really first of all I live here in DC. I need to get some get some PVI games it seems like next year to talk to both of these two. Uh but I I'm really looking forward to seeing how he develops cuz it seems like you know, from what I've seen, him, you know, through his play, at least last year on the, you know, when he was playing for PBI, he still has game to to develop, right? Like you talked about some of the things he did well, but he still has room to improve in so many areas uh before he gets to college. So, this could be, you know, a very very nice piece to the class of twenty twenty four. When you keep in mind we have Darren Harris, uh, I, I'm blanking on the other guy that we I uh, Evans, Ab- we Isaiah, Isaiah Evans. Evans, and then yeah. and then if we could get Cooper Flag and he reclassifies, yo. Just wrap it up. Twenty twenty four sounds like a another cool class coming in if we well, add him to the mix.
4: Yeah, I, and and Duke is still after. I think the number one guy that Duke is still after in that class is Dylan Harper, um, considered mm-hmm. one of the top one, two, three players in that class. A combo guard, um, the son of the former NBA great Ron Harper, and uh, he's still very much high on 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 Duke and and on the radar of John Shire. But yeah, that that class is shaping up to be a very very interesting one for the Blue Devils.
3: The other. Uh, thing about Paul VI that I know we've talked about before, but I don't know that we mentioned it here is that uh, Duke has had a lot of success recently with yeah. Paul VI alumni, both Jeremy Roach and Trevor Keels uh, are, are PVI grads. So uh, this is a this is a great pipeline. This is you know sort of like how a few years ago Duke had had a pretty strong Oak Hill pipeline. Um, they've you know, they, they've done this with with a few
1: programs. Uh, over the years and as just the DC pipeline in general yeah like the number of guys exactly. coming out of DC over the last decade has been it's it's as uh, Jason you have said it and I've said it on this podcast it's you know that league is probably the best high school league in the country and we're being very successful at grabbing guys out of that you know out of those leagues
4: yeah Donald, you Don you definitely need to go to a PVI game PVI by yeah. the way also has a guy named Isaiah Abraham who is Patrick Gongba's cousin or something like that. And they've talked about potentially playing together. Isaiah Abraham is a top 75 kind of recruit. I don't think he makes sense for Duke because we have we we have Isaiah Evans already and they kind of play the same position. So so he doesn't really fit. But uh, that's basically three, you know, top 50, top 75 guys playing in the same high
3: school. Wow. (laughs) I mean, PBI is ridiculous. Isaiah Abraham's nickname is not the forefather. Then I don't think I can watch basketball anymore.
1: <laughs> I love it. I, I know. I know a place that I know a place where he could be named that. It, you know, Camerazes are good at coming up with stuff like that, and we don't have to come up with it. We just gave it to him. I, I,
3: there you go. That's that's my contribution. I'm done. But uh, one other note on on Ngongba that that uh, I just wanted to sort of observe is when I look at his recruiting ranking right now. Uh, 247 says that he's the 64th best recruit in the country. He's he's currently listed as a four star. I imagine that that's an old number and that uh, and that updated rankings will reflect a a much better ranking for him. Uh, looking at his offer list, Duke is obviously going to be like, you know, one of the three or four crown jewels of any uh, high school basketball players offer list. But he's got a pretty long list already of top programs with others that seem to be interested and just waiting to offer. So uh, this is a guy who is primed for the for the Duke bump in his in his recruiting ranking. And yeah, it does feel like there's a there's a very clear spot for him next year. Like you were saying, Jason, if Duke doesn't have a dominant center on this team, Ryan Young will leave at the end of, of next year because he'll be out of eligibility. Uh and Gongba I guess technically would be competing with Christian Reeves, but he's if he's a real uh you know, if he's a real both ends of the floor top tier center like this, then he should have no problem getting minutes anywhere. So definitely an exciting guy. And yeah, Donald, I'm looking forward to the reports live uh from Fairfax next year.
4: <laughs> yeah, Donald, we got to get you over there. All right. We're gonna take a quick break. When we come back from the break, we were talking about this at the top. Be ready. I'm about to give you the top 10 sophomore seasons in Duke history. And we're going to talk a little bit about whether some of the guys who are upcoming sophomores at Duke, whether they may be primed to jump into that list of the top 10 sophomores in Duke Blue Devil basketball history. That's coming at you in just a moment. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup There's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire, and get matched with a
1: professional licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit betterhelp.com slash Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, betterhelp.com slash Roundup.
3: no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
4: all right guys so i just want to tell everyone how we came up with this idea it's my idea i'm gonna go ahead and and take the credit for this one. It may be a good idea, maybe a bad
1: idea. I don't Jason, know. Jason, that, that <laughs> you had to be like, oh yeah, you know, we had to come up with a story. You're just like, let me tell you how we did this. I did it. I'm
3: not going to take credit for Jason doing the homework here.
1: Yeah, right.
3: <laughs>
4: I, here's what I was thinking. We are all excited. Everyone is talking about Duke as a, you know, national championship potential team next year. We're excited because Duke is bringing back four starters. But, We're really excited because we're bringing back three guys who each considered the NBA draft as they're out of their freshman year. And these three potential one and done players all decided to return for their sophomore season. Obviously, we're talking about Flip, Proctor and Mitchell. And it got me to thinking, I was like, wow, sophomore seasons. I wonder who's like the best sophomore ever at Duke. And I want to be clear. I'm not talking about, you know, who went on to maybe have the best season later on in their career. Uh, you know, if we're talking about the best seniors, then we'd start talking about, oh, we're talking about Danny Ferry and Christian Leitner and Shane Battier, on and on. I can, you know, it's a long list of the best seniors. I'm talking about the best sophomore seasons. And I went ahead and ranked them one to ten. And I'm going to go through my rankings and I'll get Donald and Sam to react to each one of them or wherever you guys want to jump in, we can. But I, I, I looked all the way back to this is basically the modern era. You know, we're going to start you know, right around the time the NCAA tournament started expanding right around the time. There started to be at large bids, that kind of stuff in the late 1970s. That's where that's how far back I looked. And I looked at every single sophomore season there was out there for a Duke player. So I don't think I missed anybody. I'm going to start by saying this. There are four guys who, man, I came really close. I considered every one of these guys for the, uh, for, for my number 10 slot, and. I'll tell you who I ended up picking in just a moment, but the guys who just barely missed the top 10 are Kyle Singler, Johnny Dawkins, and Grant Hill. Mm -hmm. Kyle Singler was a second-team All-ACC player. So was Johnny Dawkins. Grant Hill was also second-team All-ACC. They each had excellent years, but the guy I went with as the number 10, the 10th best sophomore season in Duke history, I put J.J. Redick, 15.9 points per game. He hit almost 40% of his three-pointers. He hit ninety five point three percent of his free throws. That's a ridiculous number. Ninety five percent of your free throws is just a crazy, silly number. And JJ Reddick was second team All ACC. I think that JJ Reddick's sophomore season was the tenth best sophomore year of anyone in Duke
1: history. Jason, you were talking about the free throws, and and I, this his sophomore year was my senior year, so I was here for this. This is where he he missed. He I think he went like sixty nine straight. Uh, free throws made and then when he missed like Cameron gasped it was like the like oh, like what do we how do we react to that and there was a point during the season where he literally came to the crazies and said hey it's actually too quiet in Cameron when I shoot these free throws and it breaks my concentration so can I get some ancillary like clapping noises and so we would just lightly clap you know every every you know Cameron's usually you know Fever pitch loud, except for when a Duke player shooting free throws. But for JJ, we would do just light clapping just to get enough of a break in the in the silence that he could, you know, kind of concentrate through it. And it was mainly because on the road he was getting so like, you know, getting just hammered by every opposing fan imaginable that when he came home, he was like, I, I need that. You know, I need that uh, kind of sound in my life. So it's very funny that him getting a career high based on the fact that he needed just a little bit of noise in Cameron to shoot those free throws.
3: I know I've told this story before, but uh, there was a game where DeMarcus Nelson was, like, having trouble hitting his free throws, and the Cameron Crazies did the same thing. We, like, started clapping for him. It was during his senior year, because I remember being there. And, like, so so everyone else got the silent treatment. But when when DeMarcus Nelson would shoot free throws, would be like, All right, DeMark like, come on, and... Uh, then I guess he started making free throws. I'd have to go back and check what what game it was, but uh, anyway, let's get to the let's get to the to the main list here.
4: Yeah. Okay. So, like I said, uh, the the guy who comes in as my number ten is JJ Reddick. Number nine is Matthew Hurt, and Matthew Hurt was a first team All ACC player. And you'll notice as I go down this list, almost everyone who makes my list of the top ten sophomore seasons in Duke history is a guy who is a first team All ACC player. Matthew Hurt, as a sophomore, averaged 18.3 points per game, 6.2 rebounds per game. Get ready for the big number: 44% of his three pointers. Man, I think that maybe you know we downgrade Matthew Hurt a little bit. He he obviously has not gone on to have a a career in the NBA. That Duke team struggled a, a very good bit. wasn't the the team that many people thought it could be. But that season, Matthew Hurt had. Uh, especially at the offensive end of the floor, was really special. I come in with him as my number nine among all sophomore seasons. Number eight is Christian Leitner, And look, I know what Christian would go on to become, but what we really discovered in that sophomore season for Christian was what he could do because his freshman year was good, but it didn't preview anything of what he would eventually go on to be. He averaged 16 and half points per game, almost 10 rebounds per game, 9.6. That ended up being Christian's career high in rebounds was his sophomore year. Hit 84% of his free throws, another career high. And he was second team All-ACC. You know, that he was laying the groundwork of what would later be the greatest career in Duke history. I got Christian at number eight.
3: You know, it's interesting that you have Leitner and, and Matthew Hart near each other. Uh, not exactly the same player. Christian Leitner was was more of an interior player, and Matthew Hurt was more of a perimeter player. But kind of similarly sized, and uh, it, the fact that Matthew Hurt went on to not, as you said, have a have a great NBA career makes me really wish that he had come back for another season. Not to mention that his sophomore year ended uh, so frustratingly for for the team. So that was one like when, when we're looking through this list. One of the things that's cool is to see, you know, how much guys really took off in their sophomore years and then how that, you know, for guys like J.J. Redick or Christian Leitner, led them to not only do greatness, but but being really good NBA players as well. And it's just a shame that that didn't happen for Matthew Hurt. I kind of wish he had he had stuck around and and maybe developed a little more before making the leap.
4: All right, we get to number seven on my list. It is Trajan Langdon. He was a first team all ACC player. Duke went 12 and four that year. And the reason I put Trajan L- at Langdon at this elevated spot at number seven was that 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 season that they had where they went 12 and four was really Duke returning to prominence in the ACC. I'm sure folks remember Coach K hurt his back. The team was down for a couple years. And then, really, on the back of Trajan Langdon and his scoring, he averaged better than 14 points per game that year, hit better than 44% of his, of his three-pointers, hit almost 90% of his free throws. Behind that season from Trajan Langdon, his sophomore year, Duke returned to being the top of the ACC. And that's a big transition. Things could have you know not gone as great as they did, and Trajan was a huge part of that. So he comes in as my number seven sophomore season.
3: And as much as we talk about the 99 team, the, to get to become the '99 team, Trajan was there, you know, ahead of that to to get the thing going in the right direction.
4: Exactly. That's the '97 team that we're talking about for Trajan '99. Obviously, he's a senior. All right, number six on my list, Trey Jones, first team All ACC, ACC Defensive Player of the Year, better than 16 points per game, better than six assists per game, and a game-winning, incredible <laughs> performance. At UNC, Trey Jones comes in as the sixth best sophomore season all time in a Duke uniform.
3: If you don't remember it, you know, let me know. Uh, <laughs> I've, got, I've got the pictures. I was there. It was it was awesome. Uh we're now getting into the territory of like each one of these, Jason. I know that these are left on your list. Each one of these now, when you when you say like Trey Jones sophomore year, I start going, ooh, ooh, yeah. I remember that. And that was that yeah. was fun. Uh so, so that I I one of the things I loved about this exercise is that uh we get to remember some some really special times and look Trey Jones wasn't necessarily coming back the rest of the team that he came in with that you know his freshman year was the Zion Williamson year when all the rest of his top teammates Zion RJ cam uh all left obviously Trey's older brother had had won a national championship in his freshman year and he left. After that. So it was a big deal uh, a few years ago that Trey Jones was returning for a sophomore year. And man, did he did he show up for that?
4: Yeah. And and the leadership that he provided. You know, I've been talking so many his his, sorry statistics and, you know, guys making, uh, you know, winning all kinds of awards, making all ACC teams. One of the major reasons Trey Jones comes in so high here number six on the list of the best sophomore seasons is because of the leadership that he showed as just a sophomore. Really, really impressive. All right, Sam, you were talking about guys we remember. The guy who comes in at number five, I don't think you remember very well. <laughs> for this
3: guy, uh, at least not in a Duke uniform.
4: Right, exactly. Number five, the fifth best sophomore season. And and there are going to be some people who hear this, and they're going to argue with me that he he should be higher on the list. Mike Jeminski, the G-man. You ready for the numbers? Whew. 20 points per game and 10 rebounds per game. Dude was a 2010 player as a sophomore. Wow hit 84% of his free throws, 54% of his field goals, clearly first team all ACC made the all tournament team in the NCAA tournament. And part of that was Duke making it all the way to the national title game where they lost to Kentucky, okay. Mike Jeminski, an incredible, incredible sophomore year.
3: And a guy that we've talked about a number of times on this show, but, but every time that we get Kenny Denard on here to yuck it up about his time at Duke, uh, you know, he he talks very glowingly of of the role that Mike Jaminski played. There were a lot of studs on that 1978 uh, you know national runner up team, but Jaminski was clearly the star. He's the one from that team whose number is in the rafters. And uh, I think a lot of people my age only know Mike Jaminski as being a uh, you know curmudgeon on the ACC network. But uh, <laughs> I've, I've seen the footage; it's grainy. Uh, the lights are all streaked across the the screen, but I could tell that Mike Jaminski was a good basketball player.
1: I I know him. I mean, my first you know instinct of knowing him was when he was still playing in the NBA. I believe when he was with the, the Hornets, uh, the the original Charlotte Hornets. Uh, but yeah, I, I think when you average twenty and ten in in this economy, that yo, that's that's doing really good. There we go. I like in this economy. <laughs> All right,
4: number four on the list of the best sophomore seasons, Grayson Allen. Wow, I, I, people remember. Uh, The in the enduring image of Grayson Allen is from that freshman year from the NCAA tournament from the final four where he dove on the floor, but he hadn't been a huge impact player as a freshman and as a sophomore. He was unbelievable 21.6 points per game, Uh, you know, better than 41% of his three-point field goals almost 42% on his threes all ACC first team you know, knocking on the door, all these all American teams and the such Grayson
1: Allen, a truly incredible sophomore year, arguably the best year of his entire career. I would argue that our endearing image, or at least our enduring image of him from his freshman year was during the final four. But yeah, this yeah, kind of, yeah. Th- yeah. that kind of gave like, uh, Hey, this guy, you know, might be able to do something. And then he took that, whatever glimpse that he had in the NCAA tournament, especially in the final four. And, Took it to another level his sophomore year, and it made people go. Dude, oh, he took this... it up two or three levels. <laughs> yeah, he's like this. Grayson Allen guy is pretty good. Oh no, Duke's got another one. Like, like of the you know, especially again, Jason. You talked about Trey Jones being on a team where all his boys left him uh, after one year to go to the NBA. Same thing with Grayson Allen. All his boys left him to go to the NBA after winning a national championship, and he came back and said, "Okay, it's my team now. I'm gonna take over." It, it was terrific. Grayson
3: Allen's career at Duke is fascinating to me because he had right. He has the, the freshman year where he really only explodes for like three games, and then at the end of that season, I remember during that off season because we, we were doing the show then. Our our first yep. season was was during that that 2015 title run, and in the off season, there was all this talk about oh, Grayson Allen's going to be the star of the team next year. And I remember saying like, I hope that happens, but like we only really saw that for like you know 60 minutes. This year, or like, or like 80 <laughs> minutes of the season. Um, like, I hope he comes back and is amazing, but it's not guaranteed. And then he completely blew away my expectations. And then, unfortunately, he wasn't able to, like, follow it up in either his junior or his senior years, as well as as he did in his sophomore year. Jason, you said it's probably his best season. His sophomore year is definitely his best season. at Duke. Yeah, you're it's, right. not the one, right. <laughs>
4: it's not yeah. the
3: one that produces the most important highlights for, for Duke history's sake, but um look at the numbers and 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 watch the highlights his sophomore year was the best it also probably portended you know the role he would play in the NBA because the other amazing thing about Grayson Allen is that he stuck around for 4 years at duke he played with a number of different stars he had to play a lot of roles and in the NBA he has managed to i think get better every season um to the point where now he's playing on a competitive Milwaukee team and starting almost every game so uh so cool to see the progression for Grayson Allen. And, and I, I do wonder sometimes, you know, how the coaching staff talks about him because he's such a great example of you come back, you learn new things every year, you adapt to playing with different teammates. And lo and behold, you know, you could be 6'4 and and carve out a, a pretty awesome spot for yourself in the league. All right. We're
4: down to the final three. And I, I think if you asked other people to like put together this list, I'm not sure without looking at the stats and really thinking about that people would go to the guy I've got at number three this high in the list. But when I talk to you about him, you're going to go, yeah, you know what? That's right. Luke Kennard. Luke Kennard's sophomore year was ridiculous. Almost 20 points per game, 19 and a half points per game. Hits almost 44% of his threes. And remember, dude only hit 32% from three-point range as a freshman and comes back, hits 43.8% from three as a sophomore, you know, 86% of his free throws, first team, all ACC, second team, all American ACC tournament MVP. A lot of people forget about that. Look, folks look back on that team and they go, Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum. I'm sorry. As good as Jason Tatum is in the NBA. And he showed some great glimpses of it in, high, in, uh, in college for his one year, Luke Kennard was the best player in that team. No question about it. And uh, absolutely deserves being in this spot as the third best sophomore season in Duke history.
3: When we are looking ahead to this season and at Kyle Filipowski, I would like to think about Luke Kennard's development. Because you mentioned, Jason, the big thing about Luke Kennard's sophomore year is that he went from a below average three-point shooter to a great three-point shooter in one offseason. And it was like he came back and immediately was this good. Paul Filipowski should be watching the tape on that, because if there was one thing that we said throughout the year about Filipowski, you know, um, tons of of great development from him. Great rebounder, uh, great scorer, et cetera, et cetera. But looking ahead to this coming year, the one thing that he really clearly needs to improve on is the three point shooting. So uh, I hope he gets whatever the 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 Luke Kennard magic was. To to turn into a great three point shooter as a sophomore, which I think we all think he is capable of.
1: Look, his shot was all water, through entire from anywhere. Right, it was it was amazing because and the funny thing is, guys, we talked about him as just a prolific scorer. Right. Like he could score in any kind of way. let us I mean, it's not like he was yamming over people, but he could I mean, he could dunk. He could lay it in. He could drive the lane. He can shoot from, you know, the perimeter. He could shoot from three point. He could shoot when he got off the bus. He could shoot from the free throw line. And he's and he was just his, his shot was just wet from all those places. It was so fun to watch him play because whenever he got the ball, whether it was with, you know, 1932 left on the clock in the first half or with two seconds left in the game, you knew that if that man was shooting the ball. It was, it was going in and it just felt that it was great to see a, a guy who, you know, made such an improvement, but also was just, he was the guy I was like, look, I'll take the ball. I want the ball in my hand. So let's go. And and it was fun to watch him. That's a, that's a great pick for number three. Yeah. And, and somewhat like
4: Grayson Allen, you know, the guy that we had uh, at number four, both Luke Kennard and Grayson Allen progressed so much from their freshman to sophomore season. They are Probably the two textbook examples of guys who showed glimpses as freshmen and then suddenly became absolute ridiculous studs as sophomores. All right, there are two more guys left in the list. And these are the only two sophomores in Duke history to win National Player of the Year. The guy who comes in at number two is Jay Will 21.6 points per game, better than six assists per game, hit almost 43% of his three pointers. The National Association of Basketball Coaches said he was the player of the year. He won a ring with the 2001 Duke Blue Devils. Jay Will had the second-best sophomore season of anyone in a Duke uniform. Donald, talk about it first because you know this team as well as anybody.
1: Yeah, uh, I think, Jason, of your list, and I know we haven't talked about the number one guy, but I think people know who who was going to be. So I'm going to say that the only one on your list to win a national championship is in his sophomore year with some of these numbers. So uh, look, JJ was a star among stars on that team. It, it's it's incredible on a, on a senior a team that had seniors, juniors, sophomores and freshmen contributing. He was the he was one of the stars of the mall and it's it's hard to uh look back on that and not go like yo, how is he not number 1? I understand why the number why who you who you going to say number 1 is, but for me like man that JJ or that J Will season was so special, and for him to follow it up with probably even a better season, uh, the year after, um, is just is simply incredible. What I, I mean, how many National Players of the Year come back to school? That's what this exactly. man did. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it, it was it was a very special year.
3: And this was during the transition from guys definitely stay four years in college to I guess guys kind of leave early now. The guy we're gonna talk about, number one. Uh, left after after this great sophomore year. But but Jay Williams coming back for his junior year was like a was a big deal because he was such a star as a sophomore in college and was and was unstoppable in so many of those games down the stretch uh, on the way to the championship.
4: All right. You guys have teased it up, teed it up for me. Here's the number one player. And I'll be honest, when I when I went, you know, started this list, I went ahead and filled this guy's name in as the number one sophomore season. And uh, and really, as I went back and looked at every single year, there was no one who even made me think twice about putting this guy number one. It is, of course, Elton Brand, who, you know, I mentioned that Jay Will won the uh, National Association of Basket- Basketball Coaches, the NABC Player of the Year. Elton Brand won all the Player of the Year awards as a sophomore. Averaged better than 17.7 points per game and I think that if he'd wanted to in 1999, Elton Brand could have easily averaged 20, 25. You name the number, he could have averaged it. They just didn't need him to because they were beating the ever-loving, you know, you know what, out of everyone. The 99 team just beat everyone like a tired, worn-out mule. So almost 18 points per game, almost 10 rebounds per game, 2.2 blocks per game. He hit 62% of his field goals, you know. It's just an unreal season from Elton Brand. I recall thinking throughout that entire year that, like I was just saying, he could do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. And when you got him the ball in the post, forget about it. Game over. It didn't matter who was guarding him. It didn't matter the circumstance. Dude was probably going to yam on someone and make them look silly.
1: Just truly amazing. I'm just going to say this quite plainly that man was very good that year. He, he, was, <laughs> he was, he was, he was, Oh boy. I, I don't want to curse. That's how good he was. He was, he was pretty dang special uh, that year. And I, I think the only, the only thing that I was like, man, I wish it it, it would have been capped by him getting a ring in that because it, it was definitely earned. And we we've talked about the nine nine team, uh, you know, more times than we can imagine, but it, it's because of how good, they were and again on a team of stars, he was the star. He was the he was the man in all of college. And probably like if you think about that particular season, Elton Brand might be one of the most feared players in a in an individual season in college basketball history that particular year. Where if he stepped in the court, everybody knew the game was over because he was going to just put on a show.
3: Look, Christian
1: Leitner was was a tough dude
3: who played at Duke, but we had not seen a guy who was tough the way that Elton Brand was tough until he came along,
4: and that is all that needs to be said about that. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it was just it, it was a joy. It was such a joy watching that 1999 team and uh, and watching the man in the middle, the just the way he he absolutely dominated. It, it was a ton of fun, Donald. You
1: want last word on the, the on the top sophomores? Yeah, so Jason, I, first of all, thank you for putting together this list. This is a very good list and, and took a, I know took a lot of time to, to go through this. Having said that, Jason, I am going to insert somebody into the top 10 because I think that this person is one that you overlooked. And, and, and we've talked about this before. That man, you, you talked about actually earlier in relation to someone else, but that man is Shane Battier. Shane Battier, I just want to go through his stats from that year. points per game, 4.9 rebounds per game. You're like, okay, we're not, we're not 1.5 assists per game, 1.8 steals per game, 1.2 blocks per game, 41.5% from three. Second team, all ACC, second team, all ACC tournament, top 10 in the conference in steals and blocks, only sophomore to do that, at least to that point, uh, other than uh, Elton Brand. And also Jason, he was the national defensive player of the year, only the third sophomore in the history of college basketball to do that. No one on this list is a national defensive player. We're not talking about any of these guys uh, from a defensive standpoint. We've been talking about all offense. But I say this he had one of the best seasons as a sophomore, and people don't recognize it because he was overshadowed on that team by just about everybody else, right? You know, three guys went pro. He had Trajan Langdon on that team, also graduated. And Shane Batty, who turned out to be one of the greatest players in Duke basketball history, just had this coming out year. But having a national defensive player in the year, I actually, honestly, because of all of this, all this kind of stats that he did, I would slot him in at, like, number five, right? Like, just maybe right, you can argue with me about him or, or Mike Jaminsky at five, but I'd slot him in and slot everybody down on your list. The reason why I added him, though, is because I think there's one guy on this team that if he has a great offseason and can come back stronger, I think that stat line can apply to one person and maybe even a couple more points here or there blocks, whatever. Mark Mitchell, I I don't want to put a lot of like pressure on the dude, but like if he improves offensively and defensively offensively, we're talking about, you know, like a Kawhi Leonard type of player where he can, you know, kind of do whatever you need to do to get, get the job done. Three pointers, dunks, whatever. But defensively, I think he could be looked at as a national defensive player of the year candidate, because I thought he had a great year defensively as a freshman. He was, uh, we talked about the fact that he was able to do so much while not filing his opponent. And I think if that continues, he's only going to get stronger and better from here. And so, I mean, look, if, if Mark Mitchell can kind of replicate that stat line with all those things, filling up the stat sheet in so many areas, then yo, he's going to be a great player. We are going to be a great team. And I think that's why Shane Battier would be on my list. I think to wrap up here,
3: uh, I wanted to echo Donald's point about how, you can look at a lot of these examples and see the way that Mitchell, Filipowski and Tyrese Proctor are all kind of primed to have not exactly the same seasons that, that the guys as the guys we've talked about, but big leaps ahead for them. Uh, You know, Mitchell showed the flashes all year and, and we know that he was great on defense. Filipowski, we we've talked about sort of where the, where the only holes are in his game, at least at the college level and Proctor, every month this past season seemed to be getting better, seemed to be getting more comfortable with the college game. So uh, I hope that if that if we were to redo this list in a year, uh, that we'll see a couple of those guys on it.
4: Uh, yeah, amen. I mean, the, the, one of the reasons I did this was I was like, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see if, if we get one of these guys who who busts into the top 10, it'd be it'd be very exciting because all these guys had all the guys in the top 10 and, and the couple others that I mentioned after, you know, who just barely missed my top 10 had really special sophomore years. That's what we're expecting from uh, one, two, maybe all three of the big sophomores coming on for Duke next season. Hey, uh, folks, you may think my list, you know, Donald inserted Shane Battier in there at number five. You may think my list is complete bunk. You may think I'm crazy. I would love to hear from you about that. Write to us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe and like the Duke Basketball Roundup. That way you can get this podcast every time, the moment it hits your feed. For Donald and Sam, I'm Jason. Thanks so much for joining us. We're going to have some NBA draft preview stuff coming up for you very, very soon. But, But until then, here's the Duke band to play us out and take us home.